Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast, episode 997, my interview with Christian Bush. We're discussing his book, The Serendipity Mindset. Enjoy. Hello, Christian. Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. Great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. We're um, discussing your book, mate. You've uh, recently written, going well, I believe, The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. So I was, um, yeah, I guess, what made you write this book? Yeah, you know, it, it, I've been on a search for meaning for quite some time. I, I used to be that kid in high school who was kicked out of school, had to repeat a year, transferred this into my driving style, you know, having quite reckless uh, driving style and probably held the unofficial world records of how many uh, trash cans you can knock over on your way to school. Uh, and then one day, uh, wasn't so lucky anymore, crashed into four-part cars, all cars completely destroyed, including my own. And uh, I won't forget the policeman who came to the scene and who looked at the car and was like, oh, my God, he's still alive. And, you know, it was that moment uh, and the days after where I asked myself a lot of strange questions like, uh, you know, what is this all about? Uh, who would have come to my funeral? Who would have actually cared? Was it all worth it? And um, I only had depressing answers. And I started reading this amazing book, uh, Viktor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning, mm. uh, which kind of made me realize, oh, wow, OK, there's meaning. You know, you can find meaning in any kind of situation, mm. even in those kind of crises. And I realized what I enjoy doing the most is connecting people, connecting ideas, and that spark that comes from it. And so that took me on a journey as, you know, first community builder, then entrepreneur, and then later on a researcher. And what I realized is that the most exciting people around me, both, you know, in practice and then in, in my research as well, they seem to have something in common, which is that they somehow intuitively cultivate serendipity. They hmm. see something in the unexpected and then turn that into positive unexpected outcomes. And so I got fascinated by the question, is there a science-based framework for this? Can we somehow develop a way that allows those of us who don't do that intuitively to learn from those people, but also then those people who intuitively do it to give them a language for what they're actually doing and also a justification to say, hey, look, this is not just coincidence. This is not just blind luck. This is actually smart luck. You're working hard for that luck. So the definition of serendipity is, is valuable things happening by chance. Is that right? Or do you have a definition of it? Exactly. And, and you know, I, I love that, that differentiation from blind luck, right? So blind luck really being that luck that we don't work for. So being born into a loving family, right? Like, as far yeah. as I know, there's no real way we can influence that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm open to be corrected. Uh, but but then on the, on, the, on the active side, serendipity is really about active smart luck. It's about, in a way, creating luck for ourselves. And, hmm. you know, take the example, um, you know, if you have erratic hand movements like I do, you, you spill coffee a lot. And so... Imagine you're in a coffee shop and you spill coffee over someone and, you know, uh, you send some kind of connection with that person. You don't know what it is. You just send something. And so now you have two options, right? Option number one is you just say, I'm so sorry. You walk outside and you think, ah, what could have happened had I spoken with this person? And option number two is, you know, you start a conversation. That person becomes the love of your life, your co-founder, your next investor. The point is the way you reacted to the unexpected, the way you connect the dots essentially then leads you that kind of what we would consider a lucky coincidence, but we actually worked for it. We did something with that situation. We made an accident meaningful. Right, right. So it's, it's our response to a situation that can determine whether it's luck or, or not. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of, of serendipity, right? That it's about making accidents meaningful. And also, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but it's also we can create more meaningful accidents. So it's both um, yeah. you know, how, we, how we can shape that. So what's what's the stepping stone into creating more meaningful, oh, actually, well, probably how, how we better respond to it? Because I guess 
we're all sort of caught up in our own worlds and these things probably happen to us every day where we just don't take these opportunities you know we just sort of let them pass and I guess that's the difference between those people that we look at and we go geez they're so lucky you know they've just got everything and they always seem to have good luck um, but they're probably more attuned or, or more aware of what's what's going on in their environment and and therefore then taking these opportunities um, you know responsibly uh, whereas most of us are just walking sort of blindly through life is that sort of how it works Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's definitely a huge aspect. And, you know, I'm a big fan of this experiment. It's one of my favorite experiments where mm. they took people who self-identify as very lucky. So people who say, good things tend to happen to me. I'm a lucky person. And then people who self-identify as very unlucky. So people who say, bad things tend to happen to me. I'm always in accidents. And then they take one of each and they say, walk down the street, go into a coffee shop, grab a coffee, sit down, and then we'll have our interview. What they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras along the street. There's a five pound note, so money, in front of the coffee shop door. And inside the coffee shop, there's only this one seat next to this extremely successful businessman who can make big ideas happen. Now, the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five pound note, picks it up, goes inside, sits next to the businessman, you know, has a conversation, they exchange business cards, potential opportunity coming out of it, we don't know that. Now, the unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five pound note, so doesn't see it, goes inside, orders the coffee, also sits next to the businessman, ignores the businessman, that's that. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people who obviously faced exactly the same situation, hey, how was your day today? And so the lucky person says, well, it was amazing. I found money in the street, I made a new friend and, you know, potential opportunity coming out of it. And the unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. And we all know those people in our mm. lives, right, who, when you look at couples, right, they might meet exactly the same people, do exactly the same things, but one of them seems to be a little bit luckier than, other, than the other. And so I'm really fascinated by that question of how do we set ourselves up for that unexpected? How do we start seeing it when it happens? But also then how do we learn how to make the best out of those kind of situations? Yeah, yeah. That's a great example, isn't it? And uh, again, it, it brings you... Um, having that level of awareness, I suppose, is where it all begins, is, is being uh, attuned in to, to life and not just, you know, walking through it blindly. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, it's interesting because when you look at it, um, you know, this is one of these examples where, in a way, alertness and having an open mind really shapes a lot of, of the potential outcomes. But what I'm really also uh, super interested in and, and excited about is how we can actually proactively create a lot of these situations. And, you know, um, I have, there's, to give an example, there's this amazing hook strategy, which is all about saying, how do we set hooks so that people can connect the dots for us? And so there's um, this amazing guy in London called uh, Ollie Barrett. He's yeah. a, a technology entrepreneur. And, you know, if you would ask Ollie this dreaded question that we get asked at every conference, right, this what do you do question. Like he wouldn't just say, I'm a technology entrepreneur or I'm a podcaster or I'm a career coach or, or something like that. He would say something like, I'm a technology entrepreneur. I recently started reading into the philosophy of science, but what I really enjoy doing is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three potential hooks where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. I recently started hosting piano martinez. You should stop by. Oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching on the philosophy of science. You should give a guest lecture. The point here is that we can use every interaction, every conversation to cast hooks, to bring in some of the interests we have without pushing them on people and then let people just pick up whatever they are most interested in. And a lot of times, because we can't know what people are actually up to at the moment, there is a lot of serendipity in those kind of moments. Mm. Throwing out the hooks. 
how do you um, how do you determine which hooks to throw? Or was it just again being more aware of your, your situation and and the situation you're entering? It's a great question. I'm a big fan of a, a serendipity journal. So essentially, hmm. writing down you know what are my key three interests at the moment. So in my case, for example, one of the key interests is to say, hey, look, I've seen the serendipity mindset work. Now I want to take this into as many curricula companies, communities as I can. And so I try to seed that into every conversation. And so every one of us can essentially write down three, four things, you know, where we feel, oh, can I bring this into every conversation with my uncle, with my sister, with my colleague, where we always have the same conversation? Can I seed a little bit of this information? Because, you know, a lot of times, actually, in those conversations, unexpectedly, someone's like, oh, my God, this person I just met, like, they look exactly for X, Y, Z. The point here is that then the most boring of conversations actually become interesting again because people, you know, opportunities come from the most unexpected of places. So it's better, better, being better at um, conversations then? It's a huge part of it because if you think about it, you know, we spend a lot of our life in conversations mm. and a lot of our life we spend in routine conversations, right? We mm. spend it in catching up with someone because we feel we want to catch up. Um, but, you know, there's always this kind of additional element we could bring in, which is really about saying, hey, can we ask questions slightly differently? Like next time we go to a conference with someone, can we also build in a question like, hey, what inspired you about this or what's on your mind at the moment? Whatever it is, something that opens up a little bit more that kind of potential opportunity space where, where serendipity happens. Um, but also, you know, in the reverse, like how do we answer to people differently in a way that allows them to really say, oh, wow. This could be really interesting. And, you know, I'm always this kind of believer that whenever people say, oh, this boring person or, oh, this boring conversation, it's mostly about them, that they didn't ask questions that actually helped the conversation. You know, you can go to a fisher, uh, to a fishing village in Italy and talk with a fisherman where you might feel, oh, I don't have a lot in common with them. But, you know, if you get into the topic of transitions, I'm sure this person will say, yeah, like, you know, I lost my mom to cancer. And, you know, I can relate to transitions. Everyone can relate to transitions, right? And so it's, it's this idea of, of opening up that potential common denominator that we have with everyone. And I think that's also where, um, you know, from a leadership perspective, from a community builder perspective, that idea of, 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 of how do we build common denominators come in? How do we make sure that people connect on those things they care about rather than the stuff they don't care about? Yeah, I guess it's a lot of people, you know, the small talk and just regular chit chat and banter um personally i'm not a big fan myself but um i think i think a lot of people just fall into that trap of you know just the surface level conversation and then i don't know if they're they're hesitant to create conversations or there's something sort of fear inside or it's just that we don't know how to start it um but i have a belief that that most people will actually enjoy engaging in, in good conversation that's deeper than that surface level Absolutely. And I feel most people want to be seen, right? Most people, if you think about it in a way, how do we, you know, I feel like a lot of the routine things never allow the other person to really be seen because everyone gets like used to their routine, impression management, all these kind of things, which are essentially about kind of, okay, um, you know, let's make sure that I seem Mm. like impressive or whatever it is. But actually, that's not really how we connect, right? That doesn't make me like you more in the sense of, you know, that that actually we will collaborate in five years because you impressed me so much, right? It's more about, hey, how do we find this common being a purpose, denominator, whatever it is. And, and that's why I'm so excited about everything around purpose-driven leadership, because it's so much about saying, how do we find out what we both care about? 
how do we find both something that we both can buy into as a conversation, as a, as a business, whatever it is, and then really work together towards this because that's where the real fun comes in. And actually, that's where we start connecting dots differently. How do we do that? Well, it's interesting because so a lot of our work, um, we just finished a study with um, 42 of the world's leading CEOs. So essentially, mm. you know, the kind of CEOs of companies like MasterCard and others. And we sat down with them and we said, hey, look, um, what is it that really differentiates your leadership? Like, what are you doing differently from, from other people? And what's interesting about a lot of those kind of um, leaders who have tried to take big companies and make them more purpose-driven is really that they have consciously chosen to say, you know what? Let's first step back and say, if we are a MasterCard, yes, we're doing payment, we're doing financial transactions and all that stuff, but actually, what is the bigger thing in the world, the bigger problem in the world we could solve together? What is it that, that we can like leverage to really tackle something that people care about? And so in the case of MasterCard, for example, they said, okay, you know what? There's hundreds of millions of people in the world who don't have access to the financial system. They're just cut out of it. And so if we can be part of bringing them into the financial system, we can leverage our core capabilities, we can make a lot of money, and at the same time, we actually now have a big purpose that employees can rally around because they are part of bringing 500 million people into the financial system. And so the point here is then when I'm an employee in that company and I come into the office on Monday morning, I feel, hey, there's something we're actually striving towards. And so when I catch up with someone now and they tell me about this new amazing technology that helps lift people out of poverty, I have an incentive to connect the dots for the company as well. And I think that's what we've um, for a very long time underestimated, right? This idea that when you have employees who truly deeply care, that's when they start to also in their private life connect us to interesting people, ideas. And that's where a lot of the magic happens when they come back and say, wow, I just thought about X, Y, Z thing. And that leads to a MasterCard having a new strategy in this and this direction. So the long story short version here really is to say, how do we get companies and individuals to really discover which purpose could really be impactful, but also like cater to their capabilities and, and what they want to be and who they want to be? And at the same time, how do we embed that into the day-to-day? -day? It's like the Viktor Frankl idea of it's not enough to just have a big why, a big purpose, a big meaning. Like that is kind of like, great, I want to do this big thing. You have to have it in the day-to-day. -day. You have to have something integrated in that as well. How do you, what do you mean like the day-to-day? -day? Like I guess I, I understand the idea of having this bigger mission, like companies having a united um, mission or vision of what they want to achieve um, because then all the unique parts of that operate that, that company, you know, all striving towards the same thing. So even though they're separated and doing different things, they've all got this common goal. But how do you bring that bigger purpose or bigger meaning of life into the day-to-day? Yeah, so a lot of times the problem I've seen, so I work a lot with executive teams especially, and so what I've seen a lot with them is that they, a lot of times, you know, um, the top five people in the company are extremely good at, this is our purpose, and like extremely inspiring about it. Hmm. But when I'm the middle manager who goes into the office on Monday morning, I don't feel it. I can, I can, I can abstractly relate to it. I will tell others about it, but I don't feel it in my kind of day-to-day -day activities. I don't feel it on my paycheck. I don't feel it in my performance reviews or see it in my performance reviews. And so a lot of the work we've been doing around this was to say, how do we integrate that into every process and system that's around here? So how do we make sure that when we uh, promote people, that they are being promoted based on how they contributed to our values and purpose. When we give incentives to people, when we pay people, how do we make sure 
that those get championed who actually really contributed to that bigger purpose. How do we celebrate them? How do we not only have the employee of the month when it comes to how much they sold, but also how they actually contributed to the bigger idea of what we're doing? And so the more we integrate that into the day-to-day, in performance reviews, in payments, whatever it is, you name it, every process, the more we can actually then have people have the feeling it's not just lip service, but it's actually happening. And, you know, I'm a big fan of practices that actually allow doing that. And so um, one of my favorites actually... Um, which, you know, a lot of times uh, necessitates a certain uh, psychological safety at the beginning. And we can definitely dive deeper into how, how we can build that. But um, I'm a big fan of the, of the post-mortem or the, the project funeral. And, and that's really about saying, you know, a lot of companies say, oh, we're so much about curiosity and innovation, all these kind of things. But that's not true. Like people usually, you know, are uh, directly blamed for failure. They're directly blamed for experimentation. Um, a lot of them, you know, when something goes wrong, uh, it, it's something that gets hidden away. Mm. And so the problem, of course, is that we don't really learn from each other in those environments, right? Because in those environments, essentially, it, um, you know, we only talk about the stuff that worked, but the real learning comes from what didn't work. And so mm. the, the postmortem is around saying, hey, look, whenever something goes wrong, let's say, you know, whatever project or whatever product, the person who is responsible for it presents it in front of people from other divisions and reflects on what is it that we learned from what didn't work. It's not about celebrating failure, quite the opposite. It's about celebrating the learning from what didn't work. Hmm. And so, you know, in this in this one example, a company I've been working with, um, they had this amazing, you know, technology. It's, it's essentially a, a window glass, a picture frame, and the idea was that it wouldn't reflect the light. So it's, it's a great technology, but, you know, the project manager laid it to rest at the ceremony and said, look, um, we underestimated the market is not big enough for this. So great technology, but next time we'll understand the market better. Now, someone in the audience goes like, hey, 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 have you considered what this would mean for solar? Have you considered if you take that technology into a solar context, how much energy that can absorb? And that is how, quote unquote, coincidentally, part of their solar division emerged because they realized, wow, we have an amazing technology here that almost was just pushed out. But actually, if we use that in a different context, it can work. Mm. And so those kind of practices are a lot about saying, you know what, we need to somehow institutionalize processes and practices that practice what we preach. Otherwise, we will not build that kind of trusted environment. No, no. And I think a lot of these companies, I mean, like have these great ideals and, and things like that. Um, but then the culture isn't there to support it, you know, because I've worked for big companies like that before. And yes, they want to do this and that, but they don't actually want to listen. And it's driven by maybe ego and, and power and, and rather than collaboration and, and solutions. You know, I, I really feel that. But what's your experience there? Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the kind of broader ideas um, behind the serendipity mindset and the more philosophical idea really is that, you know, there's so much potentiality out there. There's so much that could be, but usually we shut it down. We shut it out. We shut it, you know, because we're like, no, I have this plan and I want to like go like that things go according to plan because my authority is based on this plan. Right. And, and you know, I, I find it fascinating because so that study that I mentioned earlier, but also more broadly in our work, what we've seen, uh, what differentiates really interesting leaders, especially now in COVID times, you know, where there's just not much we can we can actually plan out for like years in advance is that they're extremely good at saying there's a sense of direction here. Um, there's an approximate way of where we want to go. There's a purpose and here's a strategy. But I'm telling you already now that I will adjust that strategy based on new information. And, you know, I found that fascinating when you look at the different states in the U.S., you know, some of those. So when COVID happened, right, some of them were like, 
hey, here's the exact strategy, the exact plan. We will open up again exactly on May 15th. That's the old school leadership style, right? Which is all about, here's an exact plan. This is exactly how we're going to do it. The new idea is to say, you know what? We have core principles and a core idea of what we're doing. So for example, public health, public safety, uh, and, and, and economic safety and economic health. And here's an approximate strategy. And we want to open up on May 15th, but we're telling you already now that we will adjust the timeline as soon as we will get new information. Guess now who of those two leaders has an incentive to hide new information? Who has an incentive to, in a way, try to still go through with it, even if May 15th doesn't make sense? It's the old school leadership, right? Because that is based on power and authority being based on my plan is the plan that's going to work and I have everything under control. Hmm. Versus number two is about saying, I know that the world is changing fast. I know that people need security and safety, so I will give them a purpose and I will give them a strategy, but I will also make the unexpected part of our plan because then actually when I revise the strategy, I will actually be seen as someone who has control because I told people from the beginning. And I think to your earlier point, right, I think that's the fascinating thing about this kind of mindset that we're saying, you know what, you don't have to pretend that you have to have it all figured out. You don't have to claim authority for things where at the end of the day, it doesn't help anyone. Um, This is actually about saying, no, like sometimes we need to wing it as long as we have a certain plan here. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like that... um you know, setting yourself a 10-year uh, plan or 10-year goal, you know, it's, it's often talked about. Um, but you just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, you know, that will affect that, that whole plan. So it's great to have a visual of where you want to end up, um, but not being so rigid that it stops you from allowing to explore opportunities along the journey. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's to exactly your point, you know. Um, I work a lot with my students here, for example, around exactly this idea. You know, when COVID happened last year, a lot of their dreams were shattered, right? I mean, they had their internships lined up. Some of Mm. them had their jobs lined up. They had worked like for two years to get this one internship and then boom, just gone, right? And so we sat down and we said, you know what? Like, what is this really about? Like, we understand, look, you had this exact plan here and, and this would have been great, but let's step back and say, like, what is it really? Like, are there different routes to Rome, right? Are there different ways of how you can still do what you're passionate about? Can you maybe also open a little bit up towards, you know, maybe there's other options in life that could also be interesting. And I found it interesting, you know, and a lot of times um, those students who were really open to say, you know what, maybe I always assumed I wanted to go be at Goldman or at McKinsey or whatever it is. But actually, I just realized that I can also be at XYZ completely different company and do a similar thing. And that's actually giving me much more purpose than what I really want to do. And, and I just was kind of in this in this routine hamster wheel type thing that this is the one thing you should do. And I think in a weird way, the pandemic has given some people also li- the license, right, to, to rediscover a little bit what they're really interested in. And I think that's mm. kind of something... Um, that the unexpected brings out in us, right? It brings out a lot of emotion and fear. And, you know, I grew up in Germany. I hate ambiguity. I don't like ambiguity. I don't like uncertainty. But actually, the serendipity mindset has helped me a little bit to say, you know what? The unexpected actually can sometimes be our ally. And, And when you take the long view, to your point, right? When you look at it in 10 years and look back, those moments actually are the ones where we feel, oh, great, this breakup with this person where I felt I couldn't really live without actually led me to the person I really wanted to be with, right? Those kind of things where we realize, wow, in the moment that felt really bad, but in the long run, it actually could work out. And, you know, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, which is around this idea that if you want a happy ending, don't stop the story too early. 
No, yeah, it's good. The um, the obstacle is often the way, isn't it? And um, mm. in the, the words of Ryan Holiday, of course, uh, that I was going to go somewhere else. Then um, the whole purpose of of uh, the journey and and being flexible with your movements, I think it's it's quite profound. And I, I don't think we allow enough flexibility. And maybe it's because we all desire this certainty. And maybe when we don't have this certainty or security. There's this sense of somehow we screwed up and we become very vulnerable. Do you think that's what's stopping people from, you know, having these conversations? This this sense of pride and ego that hey, if suddenly I open up, what what will come out, and how's that going to expose me for something that I, I believe I'm, you know, not or am? Absolutely, I believe that's a big part of it. In terms of you know, when you think about, it, I mean, at least the way I grew up, right? I grew up in an education system that trained me to plan things out, to have a strategy, to be in control, to know what I want to do after school, to know mm. where I want to apply for high, for, for university and so on. And, and, you know, I think the thing there is then you get out into the world and you're like, oh, my God, the world isn't as certain as I thought it would be. And, 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 and you know, that's why I'm a big believer in how we have to think about the education system very differently in terms of really focusing much more on the mindset question in terms of how do we get kids to understand, hey, look, you know, you you'll there'll be a lot of curveballs. There'll be a lot of things that will be unexpected. There'll be a lot of stuff, but that's not something that's about your self worth. That's not something that you know. Just because you didn't get the the job at Goldman, uh, it doesn't mean that you are not worthy. And I think you know, to me, that comes to very very deep psychological undercurrents here because um, one of the things you know, I, a lot of my background is around psychology and and and, and related questions, and I, I've always been fascinated by this idea. Uh, t- take this situation earlier, right? This idea of um, in the coffee shop or any other situation you can think of where there was some kind of serendipity happened, those unexpected moments. There's a lot around our speaking up in those moments, right? There's a lot around, imagine you're sitting in a meeting and you have this unexpected idea and you hold it back because you feel, oh, I'm not ready, it's not ready enough, or I'm, mm. not, I'm not worthy, all these people are too important for this, whatever it is. And then you walk outside afterwards and you're like, ah, I should have brought up that idea, right? And a lot of times, I'm a, I'm a big fan of writing down, essentially, in a serendipity journal, those moments where we felt something unexpected, positive could have happened, but it didn't. Yeah. And then really trying to understand the pattern behind it. What is holding me back here? Is it, you know, imposter syndrome? Is it that I don't feel worthy in X, Y, Z moments? Is it that whatever it is? And really then working on these deeper underlying psychological Uh, self-limiting beliefs because I think to your point we all get trained in a way that you know we we have to be perfect in xyz and and so on so but the real beauty is a lot of times an imperfection but you know we always want to be perfect in those moments and so that really holds us back and so I think um, you know the more we can we can in a way uh, I'm I'm a big believer for example um, to 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 try to get rejected as as much as you can in, in some periods right so if you apply to jobs to literally send hundreds of applications and then realize it's completely normal to be rejected by 99, but you just need to, right? You don't need like 99. And so I think it's really this idea of, of, of letting go of this idea that everything always has to be perfect and accepted and everything else because that's not just not how life is. Yeah, what sort of practices do you have, I mean, to, to try and fail more often or, you know, be rejected? Do you have anything that you've done that's kind of unique? I'm constantly, you know, I feel I'm constantly being rejected in, in, in almost everything. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 
you know, I mean, take the book now, right? So with the book, that was the next big project. So for that project, you know, I would go literally to every journalist and every person I would like know or not know. And I would be like, hey, great. Like, hey, let's talk about this and so on, so on, so on. So similar with any other project I've ever done in my life, I feel it's always been about you speak with 500 people and two of them will be excited. And that's the two that that, that, that makes it work, right? And and I think that's, that's something where um, in a way... Um, I feel in every situation we're in, there's always something we can still say, oh, maybe there's one more thing I can do. And, and uh, you know, to make it more concrete also, uh, one of the things I, I do with my students is to say, you know what, identify the top 20 most inspiring people that are alive. Like, who are the 20 people that really inspire you? And then, you know what, on the internet, being it LinkedIn, second degree contacts, or being it all these rocket reaches that have the email addresses of literally everyone in the world, like, send each of these 20 people a very heartfelt note and say, I've been so inspired by you and I'd love to connect with you and I'd love to have a coffee with you and I'd love to, you know, just chat, whatever it is. And and you will be surprised that the most inspiring people will go back to you. Again, 19 won't, but this one person will. And again, mm. this is kind of like, it's, it's a low risk thing, right? You don't lose anything by writing an, a message to Barack Obama and saying, hey, Barack, I've been so inspired by you, right? Like, you will most certainly not even be rejected. You will most certainly be ignored, which probably is even heavier than being rejected. But, you know, you do that a couple of times and you realize most things in life are numbers games. Most things in life are not about that you were good or bad. It was just that a lot of other people also were there and there was maybe a better fit at that point. And hmm. that's just how life is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, remember the story from Richard Branson. Um, and, you know, he himself said he got quite lucky at a time where he bought uh, Virgin Airlines to Australia. And um, at the time, one of the major carriers then uh, went bankrupt and collapsed. It was Ansett Airlines. And because they went bankrupt, they had all these extra customers that couldn't get absorbed by the, the couple of carriers that were available. And so he, he just said he got lucky with the right timing. Um, but I sort of debated that, you know, and I've talked about it in the past where I said, well, Yes, he may have got lucky with the timing, but realistically, he was there in a position ready to act when, when he needed to. Um, so it wasn't, you know, and other people could have too if they were in that position to be prepared. But most of the other people probably would have said, oh, no, I'm never going to have a chance of entering the uh, airline industry in Australia because there's too much competition there. Um, Richard was in the background ready to go when it was ready, you know. He was just um, uh, pre prepared, I suppose. Absolutely, and I think that's really at the core, you know. When you think about building a muscle for the unexpected, I think that's what part of this is about, right? To say, we don't know exactly what will happen, right? I don't know which airline will go bankrupt where or what kind of thing will happen where. But if I identify what I'm excited about, if I identify kind of that I put myself out there, I'll, I'll try a couple of things out, at some point something will work, right? Like hmm. 10 things won't, but one will. And, and, I, and I think that's the interesting thing that um, I'm a big fan in this case, for example, of... of um, you know, uh, placing bets. So this idea that most of us don't have the um, financial comfort to risk everything, right? So most of us won't be able to just say, I place one bet and I, I risk everything on one kind of thing. But actually what we can do is, let's say we are in our day-to-day -day job and then we spend 5% on just kind of putting a couple of feeders out there, seeing a little bit what's out there, putting a bit of content about an area we're interested in out there. And, you know, in a way to your point, like, preparing ourselves to become ready and then you know it's you know how many people um i i i i've seen who would you know say things like oh like i i worked in this in this industry 
and I just did a blog on the side about something I've been extremely excited about, and I just thought five people would read it. But actually, one of them then came back to me and said, hey, I should do this and this podcast about it. I should do this and this TV series about it. And so it's these kind of things where, you know, just getting things started and doing low-risk bets on things. I think Mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of times then when people look back, they will say, oh, it was just a coincidence that this person reached out to, to me. Yeah, it was. But you made it possible that this person could reach out to you. You made it possible that you actually connected the dots so they connected the dots. And I think to your Branson example, I think he's extremely good at saying, I'm putting certain things out there and I can't control everything. But what I can do is I can connect dots and I can uh, allow other people to connect the dots for me. Does it very well, doesn't he? <laughs> mm-hmm. What um, what sort of uh, rituals or routines do you have in your life, Christian, that you believe contribute to your success? I'm a I'm a big fan of, of of thinking about you know when I have conversations with people, I try to always have one introduction or one thing that that just where I'm like, oh, this could connect to this person or this idea or just something where I feel, oh, great, like there, there's something um, you know that 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 really is is helpful in, in this situation, and I think. Once we get into that modus of, of really saying, okay, great, there's something we can do here, it's it's beautiful, it's almost karmic, right, what the universe does in, in, in the sense of that, um, you know, introducing this one person to the other person, they do this amazing new thing, and, 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 and it's just extremely gratifying, and, and at the same time, also, it a lot of times leads to a lot of other really interesting things in life, and so I think it's, it's, it's really this kind of... Um, question always, how can every conversation be meaningful? And 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 this is really going back to Viktor Frankl. Like, I, I feel I'm trying to understand in every situation. I, I, even, you know, last year I had COVID, couldn't breathe. You know, it, it was a really heavy period and, and it was tough, right? And for a week I was literally down. I was, you know, certainly not practicing anything that, that I preach. I was just down and I was just emotionally kind of, you know, uh, it, it was an extremely tough period. And then kind of I started rereading Viktor Frankl and say, hey, look, like, what is the meaning of this situation? Is there anything in here that I can that I can mm. find in this? Mm. And, you know, the fascinating thing and, and um, what what, you know, to me, again, really brought this up was, uh, you know, that period where I realized is, hey, look, I focused a lot on my passions. I focused a lot on building things. I haven't really focused on investing time into, uh, you know, building a family, finding the right person around building a family and so on. And, and with this intention then, you know, uh, last year, a couple of months after, serendipitously so, an old friend of my, uh, mine and I, we reconnected and, you know, she's my wife now and we, we're expecting wow. a kid. And, and, and it, it, it's those kind of things, you know, where, of course, this is in, in quote unquote, it's an extreme case, right? It's like that won't always happen. But I think it is that kind of thing of saying, is there still something in this situation that could have some kind of meaning? And what can I learn from this? Is there something that I can mm. still learn from this situation yeah yeah it's putting it out there i love it what's what's your definition of success it's been changing a lot over Mm. time being honest i think you know i mean in in when i was a teenager it was certainly just pleasure joy like those kind of things right which are a lot about just being joyful and happy and that kind of uh, those kind of things and then you know i've increasingly seen that a lot of times contentness so happiness in the sense of contentness is not necessarily giving the most meaning in the sense of it's not necessarily you know if you look at 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 the real meaningful impact that's being created in the world a lot of times it comes out of a sense of discomfort out of pain out of out of something that has to change and so 
I've always, you know, at the moment I'm I'm still trying to figure out like what is the right balance between the the happiness and the comfort and the contentness that I get from being around my family, um, being around close friends, and at the same time, hey, there's so many pressuring issues in the world that I have to fix and or not fix. I mean, I don't think I can fix all of them, but at least where I can be part of asking questions around it and, and so on. And 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 I feel that's where a lot of the meaning comes from. Then. And and. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of this. Um, there's this amazing um, deathbed regret uh, work around. You know, when people are on their deathbeds, what what they what they think about, what they reflect about, and what they regret. And and a lot of times they regret really kind of building these kind of meaningful relationships, meaningful things in their lives. And I think, um, you know, so so to me, success a lot of times really comes back to that question: what is really truly meaningful? And when I'm on my deathbed. Will I say, okay, hey, grandkid, this was worth it. Like it was worth that I was on this world mm. for you know hundred hopefully years, and 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 this is what we did with it. But also, hey, I was a meaningful force in other people's lives. Yeah, well, I like that. Well explained. Um, what advice then would you give your twenty-year-old self? To not take things too seriously, in the sense of oh. like try to. You know, figure out what you're excited about. Try to figure out what your ex- like, what your passion is. Realize that life can be short, so don't take life too unseriously. Like, like take take life seriously in the sense of take it seriously that you're here for only a limited period of time. So you might as well do something with it. But don't take too seriously what society will put on you. What means success? Like your definition of success will change with your friends, with the people you look up to, and so. I wouldn't take that too seriously. I would I would take it more seriously to really find what is at the core of, of what you feel is meaningful. I would start with reading Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning to really um, go down to that kind of meaning um, search and then really build from there. Because I think, you know, there's it's one of my favorite quotes around this idea that the world needs more people who find themselves at their core of what they really what they really feel purposeful about and, and then build from there versus the other way around, like looking out there and feeling, oh, what can I do so that everyone's happy with me? And then looking back and saying, oh my God, I, I, I felt like I lost myself on that process. And so I feel like finding oneself in that process means really discovering one's own meaning and purpose in, in this deeper way. Yeah, yeah. The, um, a couple of quick round questions for you. If you were to be served your last meal, what would you request? A meaningful meal. Probably a conversation partner like Socrates, like who would ask really cool questions where we'd be like, oh my God, if I could live life ever again, I would ask those kind of questions differently. So to eat with someone like that? I'd love to. I, I feel like we're completely missing out not having the old Greeks around, you know, these kind of Socrates type people who, you know, we, we, we have too many people who think they mm. have all the solutions and too few people who ask the right questions and are philosophers at heart. That's right. We just don't ask enough questions and we don't use our rationality. We don't use our ability to reflect and think. Yeah. Big part of it. What um, what activity gives you the greatest sense of joy? Conversation, meaningful conversation mm. with, with people. Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting because I'm very receptive to energy. And so, you know, when I have a conversation, it's it's very quickly where I feel, okay, this is this is this is a conversation where where it really is meaningful and, and, and that gets me extremely excited and, and, and it gives me this kind of sense of, oh my God, this is what life is about um, versus the opposite, um, you know, it gives me the opposite feeling. And so I think it's, it's really that kind of meaningful conversation. Hmm. Hmm. I like that answer. 
I think so too. Mate, um, pleasure to, to connect with you today. Where can people find out more about your work and obviously your book? I'll stick a link in the show notes, The Serendipity Mindset. Um, but where can people reach out to you? Yeah, the homepage is serendipitymindset.com and I'm at Chris Serendip on Twitter. Okay, excellent. You're pretty active on Twitter? Relatively, yeah. Nice. Mate, any uh, final words for the the guests listening today? Yeah, I mean, you know, full circle with with Viktor Frankl in terms of he had this, you know, at the core of his spirit was, was this idea that you can't always like pick the situation you're in, but you can always like pick your response to it. And that's where your growth, your freedom and, and everything else lies. And so I think that's what serendipity is about. Serendipity is about the potentiality of how you respond to a situation, even if it's a crisis and creating those kind of situations that could bring potentiality. And so I think everything we just talked about really goes back to that spirit of saying what could be and how can we really go into that potentiality and, and say, hey, this can be our ally. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be our threat. Mm. Yeah, nice words. Um, guys, check it out at thehiddenwire.com, episode 997. Uh, Christian, thanks again for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Until next time, guys. Peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon